I'm Daniel Frey and this is the Daniel Frey.me Talks, a podcast for anyone who wants to become or is already a developer. If you like to stay up to date with different technologies, learn from experts in the field and help you improve your career further, then this podcast is for you. I also invite you to follow us on DanielFrey.me. So let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode here at Daniel Frey Me Talks. So today with me is Barack. Hey, Barack, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Great having you as well, and I'm super excited to talk to you today about our very interesting topic. Um, But before we go into the topic, uh, Barack, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell me a little bit about you. Of course. Well, to those of you who don't know, which is probably going to be most of you, my name is Barack Budo. I'm the DevRel for Scribe Security. I have a bachelor's degree in education. I was trained to be an art teacher. And somehow life's tribulations have led me down the path that found me now as the DevRel for a cybersecurity company um, talking about software supply chain. Nice. So, uh, you know, since, the, since you mentioned the software supply chain, and that's basically um, kind of what, uh, I guess, you know, your 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 role is all about, right? Um, perhaps you can, uh, let's try by identifying, um, start with identifying what is actually software supply chain. Of course, that's a very important question, because without defining what it is, it's hard to protect it. <laughs> you kind of need the, the definition for that. So the software supply chain, Uh, is the idea that almost any code written these days is not written completely from scratch. Almost every code that you you happen to use is built with lots and lots of building blocks, different libraries taken off the internet. Most of them are open source. Now, here's the thing that most people don't follow this chain of logic through, because if you're using open source packages, they're when building that package are also using open source packages and so on down the line. So what happens is that even if you happen to check, if you're really diligent and happen to check everything that you're using, you're very quickly losing visibility on the fifth level down, 10th level down, 100th level down, uh, which is why it's called the software supply chain. It's it's almost impossible to know everything that is included in everything that you've decided to include in your software just because you needed it, because you thought it was cool, because you wanted to test it out and then decided to phase it out, upgrade it, change it. Uh, There's so many different building blocks involved that uh, it, it can very quickly becomes untainable to follow everything. That's the software supply chain. It's a it's a big issue. It's it's global. Obviously, we're not talking about a single country, a single company. Everybody's using it everywhere. Uh, one small indication to the size of the problem happened uh, last year in December when Log4j reared its head and became a globally known name, even for people who are not in the realm of cybersecurity. Just because this little, well, now well-known open source package is so prevalent in almost every Java project, almost everyone, everywhere. Uh, Even if the companies themselves didn't know they were using it, it it turned out a lot of them did have it in some legacy system or some offshoot that they were not even uh, maintaining anymore. Um, So, yeah, that's the idea that... uh, 
if a new vulnerability or exploit suddenly turns up in one of those little used packages, suddenly we do really find out how prevalent and, well, I wouldn't say invasive, it's just, you know, voluntarily included, but how everywhere it really is. So yeah, basically from what I understand is uh, when we talk about software supply chain is is the idea of having um, a specific program that is behind the hood uses another program um, to run that specific thing and then that specific thing uses another thing to to build on top of that and basically um, it, it, it is a never ending uh, circle. Um, where one thing is dependent on another to run a specific thing. And then if something goes wrong in one of those deeply chained um, Elements. supplements, yeah. then the whole uh, big pyramid itself falls. Um, so it's like uh, having a tower of cards and then one specific card misplaced in the, in the bottom of the chain, everything collapses. So well, it, it can be a lot. Well, it simplified. Yes, that is true, but it can be both a lot better and a lot worse. Uh, for one thing, it's not as linear as you described it because it's not just a chain. You, you can think of it more as a net or a web because one package might be dependent on numerous other packages. Some packages might be recursive. So package A is dependent on B, B is dependent on C, C is dependent on A. That can also happen that you can find recursive uh, in the dependencies. Uh, and also it may not collapse your pyramid. It may just have uh, a backdoor in it or a vulnerability that might be exploited later on. It might uh, grab the data of your users. That could also be a thing you wouldn't know, they wouldn't know. Somebody might be siphoning data as we speak. It might just be uh, introducing a small crypto miner into the users of your software. Nobody knows, but suddenly everybody's computer is running a lot slower and somebody is making money off that miner, again, without anybody knowing about it. So having the entire system crash down, very visible, everybody would know about it. But all those other little things, that's where some of the you know, really bigger problems are involved. I mean, if you're a small company or, you know, a mid-sized company and your app crashes, okay, that's, you know, it could happen. You fix it, that's fine. If you're the U.S. federal government and let's say you're the Department of Defense and suddenly somebody siphoned out your entire database of U.S. soldiers, that is completely different and it could be a much bigger problem. So again, we, we need to, to not think of it just as a problem for developers or even software suppliers or software companies. It's a global problem. It's relevant for everybody because those problems don't stop at the uh, IT table or you know at, at the uh, CISO's desk. Once such a problem has been, uh, let's call it discovered, because those problems are all, all around us. We just aren't aware of everything. Once such a problem becomes uh, discovered or public, it could really, well, without, <laughs> extremely, it could, you know, if, if, let's say that if somebody could positively prove the involvement of a state, let's say if somebody had proof that Russia did something or China did something or Israel did something, it might even lead to war. I really hope it wouldn't, but that's how far things could go. Um, some, some stories 
are already implicating some states in these things. Obviously, people are trying to distance themselves or states are trying to distance themselves from such a thing. But yeah, the, the, the idea behind the software supply chain is that if such a vulnerability has been introduced, tracking where it came from eventually becomes a lot harder. Yeah, great. So, you know, with with that in mind, um, and since we're also going to be talking mostly about security today, right? Because yep. the supply chain thing, is, it can be different things. It can be also uh, also about uh, how can we minimize the amount of dependencies we have. True. But really today, what uh, I would like to focus on um, with you is because of you're also working for a cybersecurity company is the security part of, of, the, of the problem. And so... Um, I would like to know, like, uh, what is software supply chain security then meaning? Sure. Um, well, again, now that I've, you know, done my job, it's scaring you properly. Yeah. And I know listeners, uh, the idea based on what I, I just scared said, a bit also. Yeah. <laughs> the idea behind what I just said, uh, of the security side is essentially two simple things. Well, not simple, but two things. Uh, one, we need more visibility. Remember I said, it's a lot harder to know everything that you've decided to include in your software. You chose one package, you don't know all the dependencies and everything else that might come with it. So having transparency, having visibility into everything that you are ingesting, that's one thing. Second thing is trust. So if you know you've just ingested a hundred different packages, well, if you can trust all of them, that's not a problem. If you can trust 50 of them, well, the other 50 needs to be looked at a lot closer. But knowing that instead of looking at 100, you now have to look at only 50, well, that's something. So knowing which packages you can trust and which you don't, that's a good step in the right direction. And of course, once people know, and, and I'm talking about developers of open source packages uh, and libraries, once people know that uh, organizations and users, developers are going to start looking uh, under the hood, as it were, uh, checking security credentials, checking uh, development uh, you know, behaviors, best practices. Once people know that these are the sorts of things that people are looking at when deciding whether or not to use a certain library or package, but hopefully those habits are going to become the new norm, which would be, you know, better for everybody. Uh, admittedly, if you're a single developer or a small group that's working on a, an open source package, usually, you know, security would not necessarily be on the top of your list of to-do uh, things. It would just be to get your idea working, to get it going, to get to production for your package to do what you wanted it to do. But if you manage to do that and unknowingly it also includes vulnerabilities or exploits, you really haven't done anything because people who would include it would just be losing rather than uh, gaining from your expertise and hard work. So again, those two things, visibility and trust. In order to increase both of these things, there are various uh, you know, different mechanics. One of the better ones that is currently making the rounds, as it were, uh, a new buzzword uh, being heard more and more these days is the SBOM, Software Bill of Materials. Uh, just like any bill of materials, which if you think about it, you're probably thinking of a guy with a clipboard and a list who goes at the list looking, checking stuff in the warehouse or in the back of a truck. Essentially, it's the same thing. That's the bill of materials, except for software. So a software bill of materials is all the components, everything in a piece of software, uh, but not just naming everything, which is also nice. It's also all the connections and dependencies between different packages, uh, the version numbers, the license, 
hash values for each of the files, uh, basically the entire structure. Uh, and again, just the file names and hashes, you don't need to actually include the file content. So you're not breaking any IP or you're not exposing any secrets. You just know exactly what the software structure is supposed to look like. So if somebody, let's say, swaps your software for an almost identical one with a little bit of extra for flavor, let's call it a backdoor. Um, now, if you have an SBOM and you can check if the SBOM, if the, this particular SBOM and whatever you've uploaded match and don't match this new version, suddenly you can tell there's a difference. And SBOM can also be used to check that uh, the uh, open source packages which you've decided to include came from the right place because you know you can compare again using hash files you can also check your uh, original file your original code again using hash files so it's it's really useful there's lots of different ways of using it but essentially gives you better visibility better trust uh gives you the files provenance which is where they where everything came from it's a really useful thing to have so you know, hearing this S-bomb thingy um, that, that we're talking about, <laughs> this buzz, buzzword, um, I'm just like curious, um, where does this, um, where did this um, acronym came from? Like, where does this thing came coming from? Like, why did they call it? Uh... Software Bill of Materials. Um, well, the source of the name, uh, truthfully, I'm uncertain of. I know that it probably came from the United States. Uh, from what I've read, it started uh, becoming, let's call it famous, uh, around 2014, where the U.S. Uh, Senate decided to require companies to include uh, SBOM or something close to it, at least in function, if not in name, with uh, software uh, builds. And it's getting more and more recognition. Uh, NTIA, a couple of years ago, published the minimum requirements that should be in an SBOM. And CISA, which is the US organization devoted for uh, software security, uh, has uh, recently uh, recommended uh, in various ways, including an executive order by the Biden administration, uh, lots of different frameworks that were published. There's lots of current legislation and, and uh, other work being done that requiring the SBOM be included uh, in software initially that is going to be used by the federal government, but eventually everybody, everywhere, for whatever use it is. Because an SBOM can be included in any piece of software. Uh, and if you're a user and you have the choice of getting two almost identical pieces of software, one that is a black box, you have no idea what's in it. The other, you have an SBOM. Which would you prefer? Mind you, if you have an SBOM and a new vulnerability comes out, you can check if that vulnerability is included in your software. In the other piece, that is a black box, you wouldn't know. Uh, there's also, yeah, there's also a known habit by software producers not to invest money and in work if they don't have to. So if they have a product that works that they don't have to update, why would they? If they had to show people that they've updated, suddenly it's slightly different. Mm, I see what you mean. So, like, I'm trying to understand when, when, how do you see S bomb like really working? Because for me, like, what from what you're saying, S bomb sounds like okay, the way 
of securing uh, right your your dependencies and and, and a kind of um, um, what I'm imagining is a is a company that uh, that that integrates with my um, with my systems with my with my things in like in my workspace and knows um, everything that you do, do this <laughs> yeah everything that I do and everything that uh, is my my dependencies basically and does the scan and shows me in a nice UI all the dependencies and does this kind of uh, S bomb methodology where you need to show uh, like uh, on a billboard or something all the materials and all the things is that is that is is, is that what it actually like looks like in, I, in the I'm surface sure that or some companies would try to make one of these things but currently most s bombs uh, and there are uh, two or three really big standards that are currently uh, you know well, the standard as it were uh, cyclone BX um, from the Linux foundation sorry uh, from uh, OSWAP and, and the Linux Foundation has uh, a different one. I can't remember all the acronyms. There's way too many of them. But the idea is that uh, that the SBOM essentially, uh, in its simplest form, is just a JSON file. And it is a JSON file because the idea is not to hand it to people to let them read through reams of information, which is essentially just a babble of numbers and letters. The idea is to build the machinery that is able to read those JSON files to process the information and check for problems. Let's take a really, really simple scenario. Let's say that package A version 1.1 has just been discovered to have a CVE in it, okay? If you have an SBOM, all you have to do is run a search on package A version 1.1. If it's in there, ta-da, you know you have that CVE in your system, you have to remediate that. And in this case, the remediation might just be as simple as upgrading package A to 1.2, or might be changing it or removing it. But if you can run the search and know that you have it, there you have it. Uh, also, this was a simple scenario. Let's call it something slightly more advanced. Let's say A 1.1 is fine. You, you know, you released your program, it's in production, people are buying it, people are using it, everything is great. Six months down the line, suddenly somebody just discovered an exploit in A1.1. You already forgotten you're using it, but if you're including the SBOM with your software, not just you, everybody can suddenly see, oh, it's right there. We can we know it's there. We can ask for the company to update it, to remediate it. And if not, we can at least say, well, we know it's there. We should do something else to help defend against it. Again, the idea is to increase visibility, not just for the company using it, definitely not just for developers, it's for everybody. So in its most, yeah. So, so, so like when you say, when you have SBOM, mm -hmm. do you mean that you have basically a certain generator that generates that JSON yeah. and then that also company that knows how to read that JSON. Well, you don't have to have a company that knows how to read the JSON. You can use the JSON yourself. There's, uh, if you go and look at Cyclone DX, just Google Cyclone DX, you'll go to the page that there's multitude of tools to generate it. Some of them are paid, some of them are open source. Um, my company also has such a solution, which is currently free. Uh, we integrate with your pipeline. Every time you run a build, we generate an SBOM for your software. Um, and we give you access to that SBOM. Now that SBOM, to begin with, again, it's JSON, but we can also offer you a service that scans it and for any known CVEs. We'll continuously scan your released versions so that if 
uh, at a later point, new CVEs become well available <laughs> because new CVEs constantly crop up, uh, will inform you, hey, remember that release that you've done six months ago, three months ago, whatever? There's a new CVE that's in it. You should do something about it. Uh, we're allowing you to get that information. We're allowing you to share it if you want to with anybody who might be of interest, your users, um, other teams inside the same uh, company, anybody who has an interest in knowing what's in that software. Um, the fact that these days softwares are so non-monolithic that one team might be building software that is going to be ingested by another team, uh, and both these teams are actually third-level um, producers, and all that they do is going to be ingested into a different company. That company is going to be aggregated into a fourth company. Everything is so distributed these days that without such a tool as an S-bomb, like I said, very quickly, you're going to lose visibility on everything that's in, in, that is inside the software. Up until now, if you wanted to be certain, all you did was sign a bunch of agreements where a company would sign something to the you know, effect of, yes, we promise we're secure. We promise we did everything we need to do. Uh, you, can, you can trust us, really. Here's the signature. Uh, and if something happened, well, then you take it to court. You wait a couple of years, maybe something comes of it. The idea behind uh, SBOM and other techniques like it is, okay, if you want to trust, that's fine. We won't stop you, but verify. Don't take anybody's word if you can show hard evidence to back it up. If you can get the evidence, it's way better than just having their word. Yeah, I see what you mean. I see and I, I can um, I can understand uh, where it comes from and I kind of agree with it as well. Now, I would like to um, ask you like uh, um, to take you to like a day-to-day -day developer perspective for a second and like my perspective as a developer. Um, you know, I, I use a NPM, which is a node package management uh, mm -hmm. system um, where Uh, basically, I, I I add a package, right, and and then it does a scan sometimes when I do npm install, and it tells me you need to run an npm audit because there is yep. some security issues uh, with some packages, and we they have uh, released an update for it, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, and also GitHub, like I have my uh, profile and uh, like my projects there, and it tells me I have some uh, concerns alerts for like there is a bot from GitHub that tells mm -hmm. you if there is any security yep. issues on certain packages. I think it is um, Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I'm wondering, uh, how, what do they use SBOM to know like those stuff, or what do you maybe have any idea if, if this is even enough security to have th such a thing, or should you go it's, the extreme level? It's not enough security, even if they were using SBOM, which again, to the best of my knowledge, they are not. An SBOM uh, would be called an SBOM if it's run on an entire software. Uh, if you run uh, a tool which is like an SBOM on something smaller, it, would, it could theoretically give you a breakup of that particular building block, let's say just your source code or just a particular package, but without running the tool or, or getting a full visibility or image of the entire software, there's a lot that you're missing, right? Because let's say that a certain piece is fine and another piece is fine, but when combined, 
you get something new, that uh, a new vulnerability, a new exploit that might only be viable when those two pieces come together. So even if you were scanning each individual package in and of itself, which is a good habit to have, mind you, I'm not, I'm not objecting to it, but scanning each individual package or uh, your, your source code repository would only get you so far, which is why getting the SBOM is done at the end of the pipeline, right after you're done compiling, you've done, you, you've built your final image, everything is done, then you can get a mess up. Everything you do before that, you check provenance, you check uh, where everything comes from, you verify that you run tests, you verify that nothing untoward has happened, that code hasn't changed, that file came from the right place. All of that is good. You know, we're not throwing out network security as we know it. You should employ all of that. But at the end of the day, when you have a software product or uh, a Docker image that is fine and you're ready to release it, that's when you need to run an SBOM. Mind you, again, an SBOM is not a one and done. You just you don't just run it once and, okay, that's it, I have it. Don't need to run it again. Uh, every time you run a build, every single time, you need to run the SBOM generator to get a new SBOM because you right. want to it's know. In your, it's in your CICD, yeah. Exactly. That's why it's in your pipeline. You need to know whatever changed in your software. Uh, it might be something minor that you're hardly even aware of, that you've always used a certain base image and now that base image is different. Suddenly that base image is now including something that you didn't know about. That might be a problem. Maybe your CICD pipeline itself has a vulnerability and that's why at the end of the pipeline, you're software is now different than what you thought it's going to be. Whatever it is, running the SBOM generator at the end of the pipeline and then saving all your SBOMs and, and being able to check them against each other to see what changed or what didn't change is also a good practice. Um, the idea is not just to be able to produce an SBOM on demand and say, here is my, uh, let's call it certificate of authenticity you have visibility and trust on everything that I did. No, because you just you run it once and everything might theoretically look fine, but that doesn't mean that you've been running it securely in the past six months ever since you started developing it. Maybe you just, you know, rigged the system to make it look fine. Maybe you've removed certain aspects from your software, run the SBOM, everything looks pretty. Then you brought everything back that was less than pretty. And now that's the final software. There's no way of knowing unless you run it continuously. So, you know, up until now, we basically discussed uh, the, the idea of an SBOM. And we, we you know, we started with the supply chain security software thingy. We identified that. We spoke a little bit about what kind of, um, you know, what, what, basically the most popular way of dealing with with the with such problem, which was the S bomb. Um, then we spoke about what it is and uh, uh, kind of where does it work, which is on the. CI/CD, um, and uh, and a little bit of the of the things that it can benefit us on. Um, now, I would like it to take it to a different angle, and and think a little bit about what can be the shortcomings of using an S bomb, um, because. To me, it sounds like um, you know such a great thing, but if it runs on my pipeline, it's gonna it's gonna make my pipeline more slow. 
maybe um, potentially if I have a lot of stuff going on um, and it will be also annoying if it fails after running for 20 minutes and the error that you discover was only discovered in the pipeline now could I do it before I pushed it to the pipeline so that it saves some time for the developer as well um, so you know I see I see some some like a um, dev experience there that that might be affected and perhaps there is nothing that you can do about it I would like to hear your thoughts on it um, what are the shortcomings that you see on it that people need to be aware of um, and perhaps uh, you know the dev experience and maybe a little bit of solutions on those it wouldn't necessarily be the dev experience it would be more the devops experience and yes you're right it does take resources but you know most security uh, checks and balances or even tests that you run on the pipeline do take resources that's one of the reasons they're there and again just like other tests that you run on the pipeline you can't run them or you know if you could run them before the pipeline you would some stuff you have to run on the pipeline because you need to run it on a full product or a composed product or a compiled product, whatever you want to call it, or whatever stage. Like I said earlier, an SBOM has to be run on the full software because otherwise you're not getting the full visibility. They have to run it on everything, including your base images, including all the dependencies. Because if you run it before you include the dependencies, before you download them, how can you tell what the, your dependencies are? You don't know. You, have, you might have a list, but you wouldn't know their dependencies dependencies, dependencies, and so on and so forth. You have to do it after everything is finished downloading and been compiled into your... Um, in terms of time, uh, it really depends on the size of your software. If your software is monolithic and gigantic, it would take, it might take longer, but again, the, the technology is being improved on all the time. One other problem that I'm currently aware of that is being worked on is that uh, an SBOM works best on monolithic pieces of software. If you're thinking of cloud uh, distributed computing where everything is based on, on lambdas and, and integrated services, it's a lot harder to run an SBOM on such a structure. There's not really a proper uh, pipeline for the whole thing. You run it you know, in this distributed manner, that's the whole point. So getting a visibility on the whole thing is, is much harder. And the people behind SBOM are currently working on the problem. But as far as I know, they haven't cracked it yet. Another issue is more an issue of um, percep perception, because like I said, some people uh, are concerned that including an SBOM with their software would break their IP, would uh, you know, show to the world or expose to the world exactly what it is that they put inside their software. Um, even not necessarily exactly what the code is, but it would show the world that they have not been updating their packages or you know not properly so working. That, does that information go online? You mean like that? Is that is it is accessible for everyone? <laughs> like I said earlier, you run it on your pipeline. As far as I know, nothing that you run on your pipeline is exposed to the public. So why, it's yours. Why? Why? How will the public know then? Like because people are not usually people are not creating S bombs just for themselves. They could. I mean, some people do it, but the idea behind creating S-bombs is to... Uh, to show to the public that we're secure. Yeah, yeah, to show people exactly what's in your software. So, you know, you need to show them the S-bomb. You can't just say, yes, we've run an S-bomb and we know we're secure. And the people are like, can we see it? No, it's ours. It's private. It's exactly the same as saying, we don't create an S-bomb. Saying we created it, but you can't see it. 
<laughs> hardly helpful. It doesn't give you any visibility. Yeah, you need some proof. Yeah. Um, and 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 basically, like what I'm also wondering is like the the whole power goes to the S bomb team that you mentioned. Now is like it's it, it, like isn't there also then security concern there that like everything will be centralized under the same, let's say people. And then, well, like and I said, it's not—it's not people. It's the DevOps team. The tools are automated. They're meant to be. It's the, the results are supposed to be machine readable. If you want to check the SBOM result and possibly fail your pipeline, that's up to you. If you want to just create an SBOM and send it to some folder for storage, it's up to you. If you want to use a, a, a paid tool, it's up to you. If you want to use a free open source tool, up to you. Just like everything else in your pipeline, it's completely the DevOps or the company or the CISO's decision. Um, the idea is that eventually, because SBOM is currently being more and more mentioned, more and more uh, required in various pieces of legislation and regulation, at least if you want to do business with the US government, you're going to have to include an SBOM with your software. Uh, and the idea is because, like I said, the software world is so interconnected, If, even if you're a huge company and you're going to sell something to the U.S. government, let's say you're, I don't know, Boeing, building fighter jets, you want to sell them to the U.S. government, you, you need to include an SBOM. But Boeing doesn't write all the software that is inside the, the jet. It's There's lots of other companies that give them software. So all these other companies need to include an SBOM too. And those companies aren't, you know, whole cloth either. They have companies that serve them. So eventually the idea is that everybody everywhere is going to eventually probably in the next i don't know year or two going to need to start including sbom with their software that's the kind of world that we're going to it's better to be prepared now than be caught flat-footed and and scramble later knowing where to put it how to use it how to integrate it and and you know profit from it by discovering cve's exploits earlier by doing better on security on on cryptographically signing pieces of evidence, the, the sooner you do it, the better for everybody involved, both for your own visibility as a software producer and for everybody else who are going to use this software. Yeah, so it was really um, it was really interesting to hear you, um, you know, kind of summarizing this whole thing and and, and giving a little bit of more um, depth to what you were saying. And I think that uh, that really makes sense now to me um, about the idea of an S bomb and a bit about the software supply chain thing. Um, so I hope uh, that you know our listeners have a, a, now a better awareness on this. Um, obviously, we 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 didn't want to dive in too much detail. I wanted to give the kind of the introduction around it and to understand um you know that, that there is there is a problem that that people need to be a little bit more aware of because it doesn't get maybe um enough credit to or enough attention to although it's really important um especially if you're a big organization serving a lot of people and uh, and a lot of security concerns may arise um and so yeah one more thing yeah just one small thing Like I said, there are free tools that you can use, apart from my company, obviously, uh, that you can just try for free. We're going to put links uh, Another in the, open source uh, SBOM tool that you can find on GitHub is called Turn. Really easy and simple to use. If you're not certain about any of this, but you want to you know, give it a try, just you know, dip your toes, as it were. Look it up. Free open source. Run it on something, even not your own software. Run it on some common, uh, you know, Yeah, that you can look find on GitHub, find a, a, a you know public project, run it on that, 
see what you get, see what you can, you know, read from it, see if it's useful to you, uh, what you, you know, in, in both in version numbers and, and license information and everything else that you can get, apart from dependencies, of course. Um, so trying it out for yourself uh, is, I think, a good first step. Like I said earlier, the, the because they're files, JSON files, they're not gigantic, they're not ginormous. Producing them and saving them might be useful later on. So there's absolutely no downside other than resources that I can see to start incorporating SBOMs right now into your system. Thank you so, so much, Barak. It was really, um, uh, really interesting to hear you talk and then the amount of knowledge that you have about this topic is is, is quite huge. Um, so thank you so much for, you know, coming in here and, and explaining all of us a little bit more about software chain security. Um, and so, yeah, I would like to thank you for your time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we're going to put some uh, in the resources, as always, in the episode uh, um, page. We're going to put uh, the resources and then all the things that you need to know uh, about our topic. Um, thank you, everybody. Any last words from you, Barak? Well, it's the Jewish New Year, uh, so uh, happy Jewish New Year to everybody, and then stay safe. Thank you for listening to the DanielFrey.me Talks. Get access to previous episodes, the transcript for today's show, as well as other exclusive content at DanielFrey.me.